Available at farmnewsnow.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Agriculture through a modern lens. This is the AgriPod with Alice McFarland. On today's show, farmers get a lot of direction from agronomists, accountants, bankers, and lawyers. They all have a direct impact on their business. But one area they often neglect is their closest personal relationships. Our guest today is Sean Brotherson, a professor and Extension Family Science Specialist from North Dakota State University, says a farmer's highest priority should be their spouse or partner. Today we talk about how healthy relationships can improve the farming operation. And the cattle industry has been hit particularly hard during this pandemic. Low prices and reduced processing capacity have devastated the industry. We have Saskatchewan rancher Adrian Ivey here to talk about how livestock producers are coping. Why two large players in the meatpacking industry in Western Canada hold the monopoly on processing and why it's so difficult for small meat processing facilities to make a go of it. Adrian also discusses why she chooses to share her personal story on social media, the positives and the disappointments, and how she is committed to working not only with farmers and consumers, but with the entire value chain. When we come back, Sean Brotherson. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Family science specialist Sean Brotherson with North Dakota State University talking about relationships on the farm. It's a topic that's been getting a lot more attention lately in an area that uh, I understand that you've been studying for a number of years now. And I think one of the quotes that, uh, that you've had that I like, it says, the greatest asset is a farmer's health. So are we getting that message? Do you think that message is now getting through? I think that message is coming to the fore in a lot of ways over the past uh, several years uh, in a stronger manner than we've perhaps seen in the past. And I think that our embrace of all aspects of health is increasing uh, as we look at the importance of health in agriculture. But, um, yeah, I think that's the bottom line maxim that I try to uh, live by and encourage people working in agriculture to remember is that um, typically if we list out the assets on a farm or ranch operation, um, you would list things like seed, land, equipment, or, or other resources, but typically you don't list the health of the farm operator or other individuals who are working in that operation. But my argument is that health is the most important asset on an operation. It allows you to function every day, to make decisions, to meet needs. And so if it's the most important asset, then it also needs to be your most important priority um, on a daily basis, thinking about what are you doing for your health and the health of those around you, because that's the resource you depend on the most to get through stressful times. Now, you mentioned uh, farmers and others that work on the farm. Obviously, relationships are so important in a farming operation. And, and those relationships can, can suffer in extreme cases. So a lot of couples now are, have been forced into this position of working at home during the pandemic, but this is a situation that's very common on the farm. So protecting that relationship is really important as well. Yeah, that, that relationship between family members, particularly couples who are working together is really important. And, uh, one way I like to think about it is that you know, the health of those relationships can be like a a trampoline, like, you know, it can catch you and 
kind of bounce you back during times of challenge. But if the health of those relationships is not good, then it won't bounce you back. It's more like a, something that traps you and you feel more stress if you're also having strain in the couple relationship. So what are some definitive strategies for couples that uh, work so closely together in, in a high-stress situation? I think that uh, flexibility is the first rule of health, particularly mental health and relationship health when it comes to working together on a farm or ranch operation. The reason for that is you just don't know what any particular day is going to bring. Um, you know that there's daily stresses and things like that, but you don't know when there's going to be an equipment breakdown. You don't know when there is going to be um, an animal that's having a, a health concern that you have to get the vet. There's just a lot of um, uncertainties, and you have to be able to kind of roll with those uncertainties and and be flexible and adjust to the needs that arise. Um, I remember, you know, my my grandma used to tell the story uh, when she and my grandpa started out um, raising sheep, and it was lambing season, and my grandpa took their new car down, and he put um, some new lambs in the back of the back of the vehicle to transport them and they kind of left a mess in there and she was just fit to be tied but she said i learned pretty quickly you know and she'd grown up with an ag background but she said i learned pretty quickly i had to be flexible according to what was happening on the operation and you know be willing to kind of navigate those things as they came up. So, But I think she did give him a piece of her mind at the same time. <laughs> oh, I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. We often hear of farm operations that have regularly scheduled meetings, you know, whether it's a weekly meeting, daily, whatever the case is. Is that something that is realistic to consider uh, for, for partners in a farming operation? Yeah, very much so. I'm, I mean, when you're a couple and a farmer ranch operation, you know, you're not just a married couple, but you're business partners. And you need to be able to address in a constructive way the business aspects of what your family is surrounded by. And it is helpful if you're able to sometimes separate that out a little bit and have a structured approach to that and say, you know, we have a lot of other things going on, but we need to to isolate some time uh, where we can talk about the business aspects of our operation and how, you know, we can work together and decisions that we need to make, whether it be uh, financial or operational or or otherwise. And in any good um, functional business relationship, people meet together regularly and they communicate clearly and then use that mechanism to make decisions. So I think having a regular meeting and, you know, a couple needs to decide what works for them, uh, if it's one time a week, if it's once every other week, uh, if it's more often, but they need to figure out a time where they can sit down um, without distractions uh, from other things that are going on and take, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or longer if needed and have those conversations that help each one to understand what are the immediate decisions, what are the long-term decisions, how are we each feeling about those things, share their uh, 
share their perspectives, and then make decisions uh, that will be for the benefit not just of the operation but for their family and their and their own relationship as a couple. So sometimes it's it's a matter of managing an issue rather than trying to resolve it on the spot too. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in, in fact, um, if if we were talking just about you know apart from business, if we're talking about issues that arise for couples in a relationship. There's actually research that shows about 70% of the issues that arise that maybe cause a little bit of friction because of differences in a couple relationship, 70% of those never get resolved. They just get managed. In other words, um, you know, you're going to want to sleep with the window open. I'm going to want to sleep with the window closed. And we can talk about it till the cows come home. But we're probably not going to just make that issue go away. It'll be an right. issue we need to figure out a management approach and be able to be flexible and, and just adjust to each other, right? So a lot of problems in life, whether it's uh, things that affect the married couple or things that come up in a farm operation, they're going to be there. They're going to be common stresses. They just need to be managed. And they can be if people adopt a positive attitude if they give each other the benefit of the doubt that, you know, their intent is to try to to have a positive relationship and then, you know, do the things that help them manage. And, and that's one reason health and mental health is so important is that you need to be taking good care of yourself to, to have the flexibility, to have um, the mental and emotional resources to be able to uh, support each other when you're managing particular concerns that arise. I think one thing that I've read recently that I found quite fascinating was when one partner is experiencing stress, there is really some onus on on the other to look for those signs. What type of things can we be watching for when we're observing our spouse or partner? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Typically, signs of stress appear in multiple areas of someone's life, and I like to use the analogy that signs of stress are like the warning warning light on the dashboard of your vehicle. You know, it starts flashing, and you may not know exactly what it is uh, that's the concern, but you know that you need to slow down, you need to get checked, um, you need to make sure that your health is in good working order. Typically, those warning signals can come uh, in terms of physical type of symptoms. You might have headaches or back aches or muscle aches more commonly. You might have digestive kind of issues. Uh, you might have existing health conditions that suddenly become more exacerbated. You might, just might have a lot of fatigue and low energy, things like that. You know, low energy is common uh, as a physical symptom that goes along with depression, for example. Um, some of the behavioral things that you'll see is uh, people might just have increased irritability, difficulty with being flexible, um, sleep difficulties. They might be quick to anger, some things like that. They might uh, really struggle with making a de decision, um, feel kind of paralyzed. So those are some behavioral things that are common. You want to pay attention to someone's emotional state. Are they impatient? Do they seem restless? Do they express kind of a sense of hopelessness or discouragement or anxiety? 
Uh, do you see signs of withdrawal? Or are they refusing to come to a regular family dinner and instead just working long hours every night? And it seems like they're avoiding a conversation or avoiding family interaction. Those are some things. So those are all concerns that you want to be, be attentive to. Absolutely. Uh, sometimes humor goes a long way, and I can tell you, Sean, I'll be thinking about your grandmother every time. <laughs> <laughs> and I was uh, watching something last night that made me laugh, and, I, and it had been kind of a stressful day, and I looked over at my wife and I said, laughter is really good medicine, you know, because even though it had been a stressful day, the end of the day was good just because I was able to spend a little time in some laughter. And, you know, that's one thing for couples to think about. How can we laugh together? You know, and if they can do that on a regular basis, it's very good for your health. There's there's terrific research that actually shows the health benefits of laughter, uh, both for individual health as well as for couples. So that's uh, that's always a priority. Sean adds that in any family farm, family is the first word. And it's important not to sacrifice the quality of your family relationships on the altar of the farm operation. After the break, Ituna Saskatchewan rancher Adrian Ivey discusses the challenges of running a livestock operation during a pandemic, the good and bad of speaking out on social media, and why the entire food chain needs to work together. Digging into the topics that matter to you, the AgriPod with Alice McFarlane. Saskatchewan rancher Adrian Ivey is here to discuss the challenges of running a livestock operation during a pandemic. There are two major players in the meat packing industry in Western Canada, Cargill and GBS. So we we definitely got a harsh lesson of what happens when COVID was involved, shutting down operations, causing this huge backlog of cattle. I just want to ask you about the role of small meat processors. It's a topic that's come up. Why do we have just the two? And why is it so difficult for small beef processors to uh, make a go of it? That is a very good and complex question. Uh, As you know, JBS and Cargill, they process 70% of Canada's, uh, Western Canada's beef. So they are definitely huge players and integral to uh, keeping our beef industry out here running smoothly. But when it comes to small and medium-sized processors, uh, ever since the BSE years, we learned a lot in those years. And uh, when we had no access to outside markets and had to only process the beef within Canada, we learned then that we needed more processing capabilities. But the problem is, is that it's very, very difficult to have competitive and financially healthy, small and medium-sized processing facilities for beef. And there's lots and lots of reasons for that. One of the major ones is that when you are processing beef, there are all these really wonderful side products. So the the offal, the um, tripe and stomach and intestines and all of those great things that Canadians don't love to eat, but other places in the world do love to eat them. So when you're able to collect all those and sell them overseas into other markets, then you can, there's that money you're extracting from that animal that perhaps a small processor wouldn't be able to. For them, that might just be waste. So there are lots of reasons, but it's definitely difficult for those small guys to be competitive 
meat processing is a margin game, just like cattle production in general. And when there are such small margins to be had, then you need to be running through lots of lots of heads to make a profit. Okay, it wasn't all sunshine and roses prior to COVID-19. What were some of your biggest challenges you were facing prior to this outbreak? Well, we would say 2019 was a year to remember. We thought that there's no way that 2020 could throw as many curveballs at us as 2019 did, and then that proved us wrong. Um, 2019, we had a drought in the spring and had to, many areas, including us ourselves, had to sell off animals because we were, were worried about having enough feed to keep them healthy. And then things turned around after many people like us downsized. Things turned around, it started to rain, and then it didn't stop raining. So then it was difficult to put feed up um, in a, you know, in a good quality dry, dry feed. So there's definitely been some challenges in the past few years. And 2020 was looking like it was going to be an awesome turnaround year. And then COVID hit. So it remains to be seen. There is so much left of 2020. We could still potentially see a good year. There's lots of time left to um, have things back on track. And if Mother Nature, fingers crossed, if she works with us this year, hopefully we have a great year and 2021 is even better. Eternal optimist. You have to be. <laughs> if we were not optimists, we would have left this game a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Adrian Ivey, Saskatchewan rancher, is our guest, and we're talking about social media and the risks of putting yourself out there. Adrian, you've uh, been very active on social media. You've been sharing stories about your farm. Really have become a, a spokesperson and an advocate for, for the ag sector, especially the cattle side of it. What compelled you to get so involved? You know, it was really, really interesting. I always knew that there was a big gap between what people knew about food production in Canada and what really happened on farms and ranches here. But it wasn't until um, in 2014, to go back, throw back quite a few years, uh, Aaron, my husband, and I were honored as Saskatchewan's Outstanding Young Farmers. Uh, which was a great honor, but the really cool thing that came out of that was the media attention and just how much mainstream media loved hearing about what a cattle ranch in Saskatchewan is like. And there was so much appetite for just the feeling of what happens day to day on a ranch here and what does that look like and what do our lives look like. And that was a real turning point for me of, not only is there this gap of knowledge that, that consumers are aware of, but they actually, they really want to know more. And there's a thirst for knowledge about how their food is produced. So I really saw that opportunity to talk about what we do and why we do it. And not only try to share some of the knowledge, but just trying to share some of what it feels like to be a rancher and uh, the overall sense of what food production here means and that you can really trust the ranchers and farmers that are growing your food. And we're really lucky to live in a country like Canada that has amazing health, healthy, safe food choices. But when you put yourself out there, you're open to being attacked. And I'm sure that's happened. 
Of course. Yes, there have been many um, points along the way that uh, that I felt like I was under attack for sure. Um, being an activist can be especially horrific. They are... Uh, it took me a little while to grow thick skin about around them. Um, death threats to my family, uh, wishing me dead, all sorts of all sorts of horrible things that wow. you don't know how any any reasonable person could wish on somebody else. But in the end, they're a very very vocal but very very small minority. And uh, once I really stopped giving them airtime and giving them the attention that they were seeking, I have not had many struggles with them at all in the past few years. So it's been good to see that once you kind of block them out of your, your ear, then they just drift away a little bit. So that not that they don't spark it up every once in a while, but it's really not that major of an issue. I would say the most interesting part to me and the most heartbreaking part has been the pushback that I get sometimes from other farmers. And that is something that it's one thing to be attacked by a vegan activist who doesn't understand or is just completely philosophically opposed to what I do. But when you're attacked by other farmers, that is, that's what keeps me up at night sometimes. So um, I think that sometimes we all need to remember that it's okay to just tell our own story and, our story doesn't have to be the same as other people's story. And the way that the way I choose to tell my story doesn't mean, need to be the same way that somebody else chooses to tell their story. And we all have different farms for a reason. And that's because we're all trying to do the best we can in the area and the commodity and the specifics that we're in. And it's okay that other people do it differently. In this era of COVID-19, we've heard the phrase, we're all in this together. Uh, that has been repeated over and over again. You were just recently part of a campaign, a field to table campaign, Eat Well to Support Canadian Restaurants. So you played a role in that. So as a farmer supporting the restaurant industry, tell us about that campaign and, and why you felt compelled to be involved in that. Yeah. So when the Canola Eat Well group asked me to be a part of it, I, I really jumped at it. I think that is a very bright spot of COVID-19 and what has been happening is that all of a sudden you pay a lot more attention to the entire food chain as a farmer rather than just the the part that I'm involved in. Um, and I think we all knew that restaurants were important, but until that they started struggling as deeply as they are, there's many restaurants that are either closed completely or or are down revenues of 50-60% just by doing takeout. And that hurts not only the restaurant industry, it also hurts agriculture. It is very difficult right now um, for the packing plants and meat sellers to move certain cuts of meat that people typically only go to restaurants to eat. They don't necessarily cook them up at home. Um, same with things like canola oil or uh, I have a friend out east who is a cabbage grower and with the demise of so many restaurants and also the downturn on deli counters in, in grocery stores, her coleslaw business has disappeared and financially devastated their farm. So it's, there's so many parts of the food industry that are so important that we just forget about when we're busy 
feeding cows every day and just doing our part of food production. I think that this is really, really interesting times in agriculture, and I think that the more that farmers in general, but specifically the beef industry, the more we can try to be supportive of all the parts of the beef industry, the better, whether it's cow-calf or feedlot or packing plant or retail or abattoir or whatever it is, I think that now is the time that the, the areas of our system that are struggling really need our attention and our sympathy and our empathy rather than competing for resources. Here's our time to lift each other up and move through it all together. Our guest has been Saskatchewan rancher Adrian Ivey. It's time for the Agriculture News Roundup for the week of May 25, 2020. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bebo said farmers and producers aren't making enough use of long-standing agricultural aid programs. She suggested that's hurting her efforts to potentially secure more money to help the sector cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. Bebo said the Liberals are an evidence-based government. Without farmers tapping into existing programs first, it's hard to figure out where there are gaps in support. A governmental review of grain industry legislation has been delayed. The analysis of the Canadian Grain Act was to be published in March, but due to the pandemic, the new deadline for the release of the final paper has not been determined. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada launched a review in March of 2019, gathering feedback from grain industry stakeholders on ways to update the legislation. Locked out co-op refinery workers from Regina were picketing at rural farm fuel locations around the province. Unifor local president Kevin Bittman said the latest job action is to push management to reach a new deal. He said picketers were stopping trucks and explaining their side of the dispute. Saskatchewan is one of only two provinces to record a decline in realized net farm income, which is the difference between a farmer's cash receipts and operating expenses minus depreciation plus income in kind. StatsCan reported realized net income in the province was down 15.6%. Saskatchewan farmers were hit hard by a 9.8% reduction in canola prices, which drove revenues down by 7.4%. The AgriPod is produced by Colby Heiss with host and CJVR Agriculture Director Alice McFarlane and is a division of the Jim Patterson Broadcast Group. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast and at farmnewsnow.com.